It's Talking Football with Rob Daniels and Vince Tracy. Talking Football. A very good day worldwide. It's Europe calling with Rob Daniels and Vince Tracy talking football. It's the 4th of January, a brand new year, 2024. Let's hope it brings joy and happiness uh, to those parts at the moment who are not joyful or happy. I'm talking about places like Ukraine and Russia and obviously uh, Israel and Gaza. So uh, anywhere where there's war and pestilence and horrible things going on, let's hope for better things as we join Rob down uh, due west of where I am, around about an hour's drive away. Our weather here on the mountain, the definition is clear, uh, although it's not quite as sunny as it has been. Let me just say good morning to you, Rob, and a very happy new year. Yeah, good morning, Vince. Good morning, everybody. Uh, happy to know you, Vince, and happy to new year to all the listeners. And uh, I agree wholeheartedly that uh, let's hope this year is a bit more uh, peaceful in certain parts of the world than last year was. Um, the weather down here today is slightly colder, but it's actually not as cold on the night this week. As around about New Year's Eve, it started uh, not getting warm on the night, but it wasn't as freezing cold as it has been recently, so uh, no complaints. Right. OK, well, look, we've got lots to talk about, as ever, and um, a, we have our contingency plans just in case of a change in the way uh, we're listening to each other. So let me go straight to our first talking point, which is like this. Here we go. Now, we're talking about one of um, Britain's very, very, uh, very, very astute, very clever, good trainer, etc., etc., Eddie Howe from Newcastle United. And the uh, article that I was reading uh, told me that Eddie Howe had said he was educating himself about Saudi Arabia. This is the repressive state that owns Newcastle United so that he might be better qualified to talk about the fabulously wealthy authoritarian regime which pays his wages. Well, I mean, I've certainly heard nothing coming from Eddie Howe telling me uh, anything about, uh, you know, his club or anything other than just the football matters. Nearly two years have passed um, without a word on the subject from the Newcastle boss, so it is not so much a comment in a press conference that we're hoping for anymore, but rather news that Howe is about to present a thesis, a doctoral thesis on the matter for his PhD. Maybe it will even include an insight into how the Saudis might view the manager of a team that has the richest owners in the world, spent lavishly in the transfer market, has lost six of its last seven games, now seven of its last eight games, finished bottom of its Champion League group, got knocked out of the Carabao Cup and has tumbled uh, to ninth place or even lower in the Premier League in the space of a few weeks. So... With that in mind, I thought this was definitely a good discussion point. Uh, Rob, I mean, he's a nice man, and I'm reading a bit more. He's been the perfect front man for this stage of the Saudi revolution in English football. He's a self-evidently decent, articulate, relatable, softly spoken, modest, clever, talented and successful guy. And he's been unwittingly the human shield for a regime notorious for its persecution of opponents and minorities. He's given Newcastle character and identity when the reality is that the club's soul has been sold to the Saudis. So, Eddie Howe's success has allowed everyone to ignore the unpalatable part of the takeover, to pretend that Newcastle are the same club they always were, not the vassal state of a nation that stands for so much uh, the people of the north, east of England, oppose. 
Well, the danger for Newcastle and their fans now, of course, is that the Saudis decide how has outlived his usefulness. And that's where I really pick this up now. The danger is that they abandon the policy that has taken them so far so quickly and decide they need to start casting around for a celebrity manager such as, and they've actually quoted Jose Mourinho, to raise their profile even higher. It's been hoped that the Saudis are too smart for that and that they'll give Eddie Howe a bit more time. Anyway, Rob... um, Conspiracy theory or just an article in the paper, it doesn't really matter. It's something that is a possibility and it's something that's a reality. And I want your opinions on Eddie Howe. I want your opinions on um, Saudi Arabia. And I want your opinions on what we see as the possible future for Eddie Howe. What do you think? Well, number one, Vince, I uh, highly rate anyhow, and I always have done since he was at Bournemouth, Um, because he is a very talented uh, young manager. He's only recently an ex-player. He he was playing until about maybe six, seven years ago now. So he's well up to date with the the players, if you like. They can all relate to him. Um, And yeah, I, I think he's a great manager, to be honest. I'd like to see him as England manager one of these days. Um, well, now you're, wax, you're waxing lyrical and you're giving me all the football, but I want a little bit of what you really think about the politics because I think our listeners um, probably uh, don't know enough about some of the reasons why somebody like you and somebody like me might get a bit cross about, um, you know, Newcastle United from the northeast of England, St. James's Park becoming the venue for camel racing and Arabic uh, propaganda hurtling round the pitch while we're watching the football. So um, this is where I'm coming from. I'm I'm not sort of hiding any of my cards. At the end of the day, it's all about the money. And I think somewhere in the mix is the American and somewhere in the mix definitely is the Saudi. So they want to take over the Premier League. There's nothing more clear for me. For me, sitting down, watching Liverpool play Newcastle United the other night, which was a great game, but, um, you know, looking at all the Arab uh, words going around, whizzing around the, 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 the side of the pitches, I hadn't got a clue what they were talking about. And uh, basically, I think there is some need for somewhere people to be aware that the Premier League is supposed to be English. It isn't English. Look around, there's at least 10 clubs which are financing the um, the, the activities of the club. Although, of course, we all get kidded by the amount of people going through the turnstile and cheering. That does not pay all this amount of ridiculous money that the Arabs are throwing at the game and the Americans are throwing at the game and changing the way that you and I um, enjoy football. Now, Rob, am I being a bit dramatic about this, a bit hyper? What do you think? No, I mean, they, <clears throat> all this uh, foreign investment, uh, not just the Saudis, but the Americans and the uh, Qataris, I think, were involved somewhere and, and all the other um, multinational conglomerates that are now involved in uh, the Premier League. It has changed the face of the uh, English game altogether, hasn't it? And personally, I don't think it's for the better. Um, because now we're going to have, uh, next season or the season after next, we're going to have uh, staggered starting times, which is going to have matches starting in the middle of the night and things like that. Um, but I suppose that's the way that the Premier League was designed, wasn't it? It was designed to be the Premier League. And um, the way that things have gone over the last 30 years... It has um, gone a little bit pear-shaped, hasn't it? I think, and uh, but yeah, um, it, it has changed the face of English football um, forever, I suppose. Which is, I say, from my point of view, it's not a really positive thing. Um, there's far too much money involved, far too many said multinationals. Um, for instance, you mentioned last last week about the Man United uh, family. The Glazer family who just sold 25% of their share. And um, as far as I know, Newcastle United is entirely owned by the Saudi government. Look, uh, 
I am thinking back to things like we had uh, a good player. I mean, I'm I'm not going to criticise Jordan Henderson, uh, but Jordan Henderson, uh, obviously playing for England and wearing his lovely coloured uh, um, LGBTQ laces and um, pontificating about the fact at the time that nobody should go to play football uh, or watch the World Cup if uh, they didn't really understand the politics and all this, you, you know, with a Geordie accent um, pontificating as if he'd studied the subject. And then uh, the Saudis come along and offer him an absolute ridiculous fortune of money, uh, which uh, suddenly questions his integrity and he suddenly decided that uh, to go and throw in his lot with the camel racing and um, to hell with everybody that he's been telling how uh, wrong the regime is and blah de blah de blah um, You know, let's, let's be honest about it, you see. It's all very well wearing your coloured uh, laces and taking the knee and all this sort of stuff. But if you've not bothered to really understand the politics then you're just a puppet. You're a, a puppet which basically is part and party um, to something which is a lot bigger, which is based around these clubs now owning you and I and other people that enjoy our football. And I find this very irritating. Although having said it, you see, I remember when Eric was alive, he used to have a wink and a nod and he'd say, I wonder how much of that money that went through the turnstile ended up in the chairman's back pocket. <laughs> I mean, he really did. He did understand people and life, Eric. Um, you know, I do miss him. And obviously those uh, that maybe didn't listen to our podcasts will wonder who we're talking about. But it, it was a radio uh, colleague of mine and a big, big Man City fan. And he would have loved the fact that Man City is such a, a force. But, I mean, we used to go back many, many, many years and we'd be talking about the fact that obviously uh, Man City weren't a big force. until They were always a good team, but they weren't the major force that they have become until the Saudis put the money in. Now, Newcastle, um, Eddie Howe has got them off up and running. We uh, have discussed the fact that he's a really nice man, which he is. And uh, Rob has told us that he's a good player when he was playing. But the question that we're both looking at now via this article, which I picked up, is will Eddie, hey, uh, Eddie Howe be sacrificed to get a name like... Um, and we have Jose Mourinho in the frame in the article. Do you think it's going to happen? What do you think will happen, Rob? <coughs> I don't think they'll get rid of Eddie Howe so quickly, to be honest, Vince, uh, because as well as the Saudi government being involved, um, there is a woman, she's called, I think she's called Rebecca Stavely, she's called something Stavely. Yeah. And she's um, a businesswoman from the north of England, and it was her that brokered the deal with the Saudis, and she understands the mentality of the people in that area, and I think she's uh, part of their advisory team, in fact, I'm definitely sure that she is. So uh, I think that her advice would be not to sack Eddie Howe um, because he's got all of the uh, supporters behind him. He's got the team behind him. They're not doing as well this season as they hoped that they were going to, but we're only halfway through. And if they brought in some um, controversial names, should we say, like uh, Jose Mourinho, because uh, we know that uh, Jose Mourinho likes to um, spout his mouth about all sorts of things, I don't think it would do the Saudi um, reputation any good, even though it's not particularly brilliant at the moment. I think they'd be better off having somebody like Eddie Howe um, yeah, to sort of keep things going and let's see what happens after that. I think a lot will depend on their league position this year. Um, let's be honest about it, Robert. It was an astute move because if... Uh... You know, it, they are now talked about as um, Champions League potential, um, which they weren't until all this happened. Um, but I just thought that was a very interesting article. Um, I thought it was well worth discussing. And con permiso, as they say, we're going to talk about another boss, Roy Hodgson. So well, uh, unless you've got anything that you want to add, I'll move on. No, no, let's go on to Roy Hodgson, Vince. OK, so come on, Roy. Let's get a bit of music for Roy, and then here it comes.
Okay, so Roy Hodgson, he was a manager at Liverpool. Um, everybody respects the man uh, for uh, the fact that he speaks so many languages. He's a very nice person. And he himself dismissed disrespectful speculation. And that was speculated in the papers. He could be replaced as Crystal Palace manager by the ex-Nottingham Forest boss, Steve Cooper. Uh, now, Palace ended a run of eight games without a win with a 3-1 victory over Brentford, which is a good win uh, at Selhurst Park. And it had been reported that Hodgson could have lost his job had they lost. When asked about the Cooper rumours, uh, Roy Hodgson said it was of no interest to me at all. And to suggest that it should is disrespectful. He went on to say, I'm 76. I've been working 47 years. I've got a CBE for my services and I've got a CV, which is incredible. Uh, Hodgson also said, so my final answer to you is that it makes no difference. Palace's win over the Bees was their first at home since three, the 3rd of September. Um, and of course, uh, it sort of crossed my mind at the time, you know, um, that... Uh, I go on to look a bit more into the article and um, the Hodgson played down worries that the that there's a 22 year old who's obviously been influential in the win, Michael Olise. Um, so he said he well, he, he said I spoke to the doctor and he wasn't sort of shaking his head, suggesting he needs a scan or he will fear the worst. He wasn't doing that, of course. We won't know till he gets back into training and, the, and we assess him and look at it. But it would be really, really unlucky. And I don't think it was a major snapping or muscle. So he's talking about a player uh, that obviously the papers have singled out as being the difference between those two teams. But I think any team that beats uh, Brentford uh, normally has to work very hard for it as a team. Let me get to Roy Hodgson then dismissing those re disrespectful speculation remarks. Um, what do you make of all this, please, Rob? Well, as Roy Hodgson himself said, he's 76 years of age now. <clears throat> he's managed so many teams throughout the whole world. <clears throat> he's been sacked before as well. I think he's telling the truth from his point of view. Um, if he gets sacked, um, if he had have been sacked after the Brentford match, um, and Steve Cooper had been put in charge, then Roy Hodgson would have walked away from the job. He'd have emptied his desk out and um, left Steve Cooper to get on with it. There wouldn't have been any rencor there or anything like from uh, Old Roy's part. But I, don't, I seriously don't think he's interested in things like that. Um, he concentrates more on the day-to-day, -day, which is why he's bothered about this uh, young player, Elise, who picked up an injury at the end of the match. And uh, he's more concerned about his players' welfare than he's about rumours about who's going to take over from him as manager. Um, I don't imagine Steve Cooper was particularly pleased about these rumours either because it puts him in the spotlight as well. And it is possible that if Oldroy does uh, either leave or, or lose his job, that somebody such as Steve Cooper will take over. But that hasn't happened yet. It's all, it's all rumours and uh, Oldroy is not interested in rumours. You see, this is the nature of football, isn't it? Uh, you know, they're trying to fill column inches. I'm looking for stories. Um, was it a story that you'd picked up yourself? Well, I knew that it was in the firing line for the uh, for the uh, Saturdays, yes. Um, I think that was quite uh, open knowledge, if you like, because they have been on a really bad run of form of Palace. Um, and, yes, I had heard the name Steve Cooper being sort of mooted as being his successor. But um, as you say, that's what the sports press relies upon, really. Well, and, I mean, uh, you know... Although, as he said, it makes no difference to him whatsoever. They can say whatever they want um, about him, and he, 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 he's not bothered. He's got from us. He's got enough money, and basically um, enough people already respect him. But the... the uh, I suppose, really, the nub of what we're discussing is... Uh, you know, as you say, uh, Palace uh, are on a bad run. It's the results and nothing but the results that seem to matter. Now, for me, you see, um, as long as you stay up in the, in the division and you're playing good football, 
then the crowds will come. And I mean, I've watched Crystal Palace a number of times this year and I've thought each time they play really good, attractive football, as with most of the teams. I don't think I've seen a really bad team. Um, I've seen a couple of bad performances, but, you know, um, you get dipping. I mean, my own team, Liverpool, uh, there are a couple of times, I, I, you know, I, I will have watched the game and really not been too happy with what I've seen. Um, but they managed to pick it up again. And, for example, uh, when I was watching the other night when they played Newcastle, I mean, the weather was absolutely atrocious. I would have hated going out to play football on a night like those guys went out. And uh, it's only when you see something like that that you realise, yeah, they, they are worth, um, you know, a, a lot of money, especially when the weather is so inclement and all the politics that comes along. Um, but I think we're, we're both quite uh, really agreeing with Roy Hodgson in the fact that I think the papers and their speculation don't really help the game. They just fill the column inches, don't they? Yes, they do. In fact, there are, um, well, a few uh, examples of uh, what I would consider to be possibly sloppy journalism without going into stronger terms in this particular podcast. I mean, um, but yeah, old Roy, he gets on with the day-to-day and um, the papers can write whatever they want about him. And if he does end up parting ways with Crystal Palace, then it will be on fair and square terms, if you like. He's he's not going to hold anything against them. Um, because he knows what the game's all about. I mean, let's face it, he's been, he's been a manager now for 47 years. He's been there, he's done it, and he's got the T-shirt, as they say. Let's move on, yeah. here it comes. Here's the next. OK, Manchester United fans have raged after a clip went viral showing they've conceded nine goals in a similar fashion this season and believe Eric Ten Hag is to blame. The Red Devils continued their abject season under the Dutchman on Saturday as they were handed their ninth defeat of the Premier League season already. Uh, this was in a 2-1 loss to Nottingham Forest. Um, so, did you see the video that I sent you this note about? Yes, I did, Vincent. It was actually the first time it had been uh, brought to my attention. But uh, it is right. Uh, Man United this season has let in nine goals from basically uh, letting the other team do the same move. Which is it's called a cutback, which um, basically most people will know the term if they're interested in football. But basically what it is is um, across along the ground rather than in the air and it's normally done from inside the area and it normally is the ball is normally pushed back to avoid the offside trap and things like that but man united have let nine goals in um from other teams using that same tactic as we go in this season, I think they've only played uh, halfway through. Well, if I was a coach from Manchester United and I saw that, I'd hang me head in shame. Uh, yet, yeah. three may be a similar um, goals. You can, uh, yeah, you can understand that. Uh, let's be honest about it. Um, I mean, if you apply a little logic, I have a feeling that many of the teams could probably identify one particular fault that they have um, and somebody with the technology put together a video clip of maybe five or six of the same errors. I don't think that would be a particularly difficult job for anybody that really wants to find that sort of evidence that tactical um, decision-making is at fault. Now, um, the thing about Eric Ten Hag is anybody who can't see that he's got the resources, but he doesn't know how to uh, seemingly get them to work together. Um, obviously, he hasn't seen what I've seen. And I would imagine that by the time you make your comments, I think you've probably seen the same, haven't you? Well, yes. I mean, um, to tighten up the defence and to stop that kind of thing happening is a training ground exercise, isn't it, Vince? I mean, uh, to be caught out so many times with the same trick, um, it's not really what you could call professional football, I wouldn't say. Um, but Eric Den Haag seems to be completely... Well, he doesn't seem to be interested, number one, in Manchester United anymore. And he seems to be losing grip all the time. I think the only reason he's still there, Vince, and I think uh, 
you'll have seen the same things, mm. is the fact that Man United can't afford to pay his get-out clause. Now, they might be able to now when the new money comes in um, from the... Uh, now the Glazers have sold 25%, but um, they can't afford to get rid of him, basically. Um, so he's stuck there and they're stuck with him. But, uh, yeah, letting nine goals in from the same move, I mean, basically what he could do is it's always down the same line as well. It's always yeah. nearly always down the left-hand side. And, <clears throat> for instance, uh, Scott, Scott McTominay is not very fast at getting back. Um, he should be, but he isn't. And a lot of the Man United defence don't get back fast enough. So they should practice getting back fast. OK, but let's let's let's... Keep with the training, with the um, technical side of this. Uh, mm -hmm. Trent Alexander-Arnold was singled out by the press and virtually everybody else as being the weakness on the Liverpool right-hand side, if you remember. Uh, so, uh, yes, the problem, you could you could have made quite a few videos of the same loop pass over the top of... Trent Alexander-Arnold, and then the goal coming from that side. You could easily have put nine um, training videos or sort of um, examples of that error. So Jurgen Klopp has changed his position and he is a revelation at the moment. Uh, but I've not heard one Manchester United player singled out for this problem ever. What do you think? No, um, there isn't. There, there hasn't been, has there really been? Uh, I think it's basically it's a group effort or group lack of effort, possibly. But um, well, it's got they, to be should really, they should really be able to get this sorted out. Now it's been brought to their attention. If they didn't know already, everybody <laughs> else knows about it. So uh, it's about time that they got started work on it, really, isn't it? All right, Rob, I'll move on. Um... Because obviously, uh, no matter whether you like or dislike Manchester United, um, I don't want the podcast to appear in the slightest bit biased. They're a great club and they'll come good, but they've got to change the manager. Um, otherwise, yeah. they ain't going anywhere. Now, I'm going to a very well-known name. It's Paul Gascoigne. And uh, numbers of times we've found stories like this one that is in the paper. So uh, I apologise that it's a hero. I apologise for the fact that it's the similar sort of thing. Uh, but he's been found physically and mentally battered and arguing with two people outside a seafront uh, travel lodge. Uh, he is a legendary England midfielder, affectionately uh, known as Gaza. And he could barely string a sentence together when he was spotted outside a Bournemouth budget hotel. Uh, last week, he was seen having a heated row with a man and a woman who allegedly were trying to take money from uh, him. He's 56 now. And then this good Samaritan, Terry Swinton, stepped in. And um, he's a newspaper proprietor. And he was staying at the hotel when he went outside for a cigarette and saw his hero looking the worst for were. He didn't witness a fight, but told the pair to do one when they tried to grab the £10 he offered Gascoigne to get a, a taxi home. Uh, Mr Swinton took the former Tottenham midfielder back inside to sober him up and sat with him for 10 minutes before leaving the uh, hotel staff to look after him. Now, uh, it's a very, very sad story, this, because like a lot of people, um, I, too, have enjoyed watching Paul Gascoigne uh, when he was playing football. Um, and I've often spoken about the fact that I think there's a lot of um, pressure on the old football stars probably to drink uh, far too much alcohol uh, when they're taken out to celebrity um, meetings and even walking down the road, you know, people who have seen them and they've sort of had this adulation for the footballer and they don't realise that once the game finishes and uh, this is not the first, I mean, we've had stories in the press, so I'm not gossiping, but Paul Merson would be another one with addictive problems. Um, it's almost as if um, you, 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 you're thinking to yourself, well, you know, somebody needs to step in and really get hold of him and, and take him away. But, I mean, if they solve an immediate problem and get him away from drink for a couple of months, I'm pretty sure he'd probably 
tend to go back. You know, it's a horrible problem, isn't it? Oh, it is. And Paul Gascoigne, um, when he was a player, he was absolutely fantastic, wasn't he? He was, he was. He, he would actually be in my year at school with uh, Paul Gascoigne. So uh, I've, got, I've got a lot of time for him, really. <clears throat> and <clears throat> he's had the press after him for most of his life now uh, because he does like a drink. He, did, he liked to drink when he was a young man. In fact, I used to go out in the big market in Newcastle, which is where he's originally from. And, um, yeah, he used to go out on a bender, basically, at the weekend. Um, after the match had played, sometimes it wasn't when the match had even been played sometimes. But, uh, but there you go. Let me just but step in for a second, Rob, because as you're speaking, and quite rightly identifying some of the things, what's in my mind is um, alcohol is advertised in so many parts of our society and certainly in football you can see it um you know virtually everywhere and they know there's a problem with this now this is never the first time this has happened uh, there's been also i mean you know the, the first one that springs to mind is probably george best um appearing on a terry wogan's show totally incoherent incoherent um you know george best gaza various other people they've all had this problem where is any money ever seen from the um alcohol industry to help these people in their rehabilitation because it's a rehabilitation problem I don't see any evidence of this. It's all very well everybody saying take the knee. Yes, okay, we, we've understood that one. Uh, we know that maybe it was all politically motivated, but we've all been up and down like yo-yos. We've all been wearing our little stripes uh, to show that you, we're aware that there's LGBTQ, which we all knew anyway in the first place. But where's the realisation that people like Gascoigne, who... Uh, get asked to go to speak at um, dinners, etc., um, are really, really uh, vulnerable, more so than probably my annoyance that this is showing. Um, you know, it's happening all the time. Um, they talk about heading the football. It's not so much heading the football, it's drinking the alcohol. That's where you should be looking at whether or not these problems have really arisen. Because it doesn't matter how nice a person you are, and there's lots of lovely people I've met over my lifetime who basically drink too much and become a different person altogether. Right, rant over. Have I made sense? Have I made um, the case for more money to come from the breweries to help this problem? Yeah, I think you made that case very uh, well, Vince. And... um... I know that the gambling industry, for example, the uh, this, this company 360, which is actually an English-based company, that turns over billions and billions a year. It gives something like 1.1 billion to rehabilitation for people addicted to gambling. I've never heard anything about the uh, drinks industry giving anything um, back to try and um, put people back into society, if you like, who ended up with drink problems, not just footballers, such as uh, Gaza, but people in general who fall Absolutely. into problems. Um, but, um, yeah, it, it doesn't seem to be forthcoming, does it? And unfortunately, with Gazette, he has been in uh, rehabilitation on numerous occasions now. Well, as you know... Uh, as you know, it hasn't worked. As you know, Rob, uh, with... Um with Eric, uh, we used to run uh, these dinners and we would invite stars to come in and speak. And Eric brought in uh, some very, very big names. Mike Summerby um, would be one. Um, y- you know, uh, just top people used to come. And uh, every now and again, you would know that one or maybe somebody in the party had got an alcohol problem. I mean, look, it's it's not about being a goody-goody. Let's be honest about it. We've all had times when we've drunk too much. I certainly have. Um, uh, you know, at a, a point in my life, I knew that I'd got to get that right and sort it out um, before it became a problem. I mean, I, I, I my first job uh, as a DJ, I was given a free bar um, every Saturday night. I mean, you know, these are the sorts of things that become more than just a temptation. If you're not disciplined, you will definitely have a problem. 
So uh, I'm not going to major any more on that. Uh, with your permission, uh, compromiso en español, um, I'm going to ask you to look oh. at La Liga for me and tell me what's been going on. Rob, here La we go. Round round up with Rob Daniels. And for those listening in, Rob is our specialist for the Spanish football. He's been here for donkey's years. Um, and of course, uh, he will tell you all of what's been happening. So, Rob, uh, give us the lowdown. Right, Vince. Well, um, they're back again now after playing, after having the week off over Christmas, which is a traditional thing here. It's not just this year, it's every year they have a break over Christmas. But they're back again playing midweek matches, and there's been some really, really good ones, actually. Um, at the moment, as far as we stand, they are, um, there are an uneven amount of matches being played because there's some matches being played this evening as well. But so we've got Real Madrid at the top, and then we've got Girona um, still in second position. Now, they played Atletico Madrid last night at home, and it was a 4-3 four, four, win to Girona. And it was probably the best match I've seen all season, to be honest. It was back, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And Girona, being a relatively small club, are prepared to uh, stand head-to-head with any of the big guys. And uh, they won it fair and square, 4-3 uh, at the end of the match. And uh, now they are level-pegging with uh, Real Madrid on 48 points each. Real Madrid have got better goal difference. But uh, they're 10 points ahead of Atletico Madrid and Barcelona, who play tonight. So, uh, yeah, it's all, it's all uh, going La Liga again. They're having a break next week um, as they are in the uh, Premier League because the Spanish Cup match is coming up, but we'll cover those as they, uh, as we follow them. And at the bottom end, we've got uh, still Almeria in 20th position, Granada and Cadiz now three Andalusian teams, all occupying, all occupying the bottom positions. Almeria, 18 uh, matches, only five points. That is going to be a really difficult one to get out of, but there's still a chance they're exactly halfway through. 19 matches, most of them have played, exactly halfway through the season, Vince. Okay, um, right. Who's the manager of Girona, by the way? Um, the, the manager of Girona is. Um, I was being interviewed last night. Is he Spanish? Yeah, 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 yeah. He's Spanish. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. No, the, the, the reason why I ask is because you know they are a bit of a revelation. Uh, not quite the Leicester. Uh, scenario where they, uh, you know, are, are galloping away. I mean, it looks like Real Madrid have pegged them back. Um, but, yeah. um, you, you know, it's yet another example of a, a top coach who's a Spaniard. I mean, they do have good coaches, don't they? Yes, he's, he's called Michel, actually. Um, and he, he was a player, but he wasn't um, an international player. But um, he's, he's from Madrid originally, and um, he's 40... 48 years old, and he's got a lot more experience in uh, managing than he actually, at top level, if you like, than he did as a player. And he's been their manager since 2021. And he, he, when he's interviewed, you can just see straight away, he knows exactly what he's talking about. And it seems to have combined well. He's uh, built a team not with a great deal of money to spend, um, and he's moulded them into a team that are now in second position in La Liga. Brilliant. Which, uh, you can't say, yeah, and uh, I think it's brilliant. Everybody who's a neutral that I know, and even people who aren't particularly neutrals, but they aren't playing their team, if you like, uh, everybody's following them at the moment to see how far they can get. OK, time to review the Premier Games because uh, they've been thick and fast. Okay, so we'll look at the um, the games that have been occurring since December the 16th. Um, you know, with all the football uh, that's been happening, obviously, over the Christmas period. Uh, Newcastle first, we're looking at Fulham. Uh, we both saw that as a win for Newcastle and it turned out 3-0. So anything that you want to add on that one? No, not really, Vince. I mean, uh, Newcastle are not that much off form. They're not on the form that uh, they're expecting, but uh, yeah, they they uh, are a good team still. 
Well, uh, let me just say, by the way, for our predictions last week, I think uh, I got seven right and I think you got five right, uh, which what? really is a good. <laughs> we could have even won the pools if we did, we'd have done it. Chelsea were playing Sheffield United. Uh, you thought there'd be a draw, but I did think that Chelsea would shade this one. 2-0 to Chelsea. And they all look at... I mean, don't forget, Sheffield United. Uh, Liverpool had a 2-0 against them. Uh, they're not an easy team, you know. They're no, they're no mugs. I think we'll find in the second half of the season that they should play some uh, reasonably good games. Any thoughts on that one? Well, they're going to have to play some good games at the Sheffield United, otherwise they're going to go down. Um, but yeah, Chelsea, they're still mid-table, but they do seem to be improving as the season goes on. Um, but uh, yeah, Sheffield United are definitely going to have to do something, otherwise they, uh, they, they, well, they're relegation candidates as it is. Yeah. But, um, yeah, they've got to do something in the second half of the season. But they've uh, got uh, to uh, go Apo- up. Yeah, apologies here, because um, I- I've been r- looking at the wrong page. Uh, I've got everything set up. I'm going to go to Saturday the 30th. Um, <laughs> okay. And, yeah. and, and again, you see, I got eight right on on that one, and you, I think you've got five right on it. But we'll have a look anyway. Luton were playing Chelsea. Um, I saw it as a Chelsea win. Uh, you thought that uh, Luton would win. It's actually, it was Chelsea 2, um, Luton 2, Chelsea 3. And now, that was quite a good game. I don't know if you saw that one. I didn't actually get a chance to see it live, Vince, but I watched the uh, extended highlights. And it, it did look like a good game, actually. And um, I think, um, well, Luton came back from behind, didn't they? Yeah. Um, I think they were 3-0 down at one stage. But um, coming back with two goals towards the end of the match, um, they've got fighting them, haven't they, Luton? Yeah, they, they have. Um, I mean, there's been some really interesting games. Um, I, I started off looking at Brighton beating Spurs 4-2. And then, of course, Arsenal had their second defeat. Uh, this one was against, um, well, it, it was against West Ham. Uh, the first one that they had. Uh, so um, I'm not going to stay with those because basically th- these games were coming thick and fast. We'll go to the Saturday the 30th and Aston Villa were playing Burnley, which I saw as a 2-1 win. You saw as a 3-0. And in actual fact, it turned out Aston Villa 2, Burnley 1. Now, Burnley are not an easy team to beat, despite the fact that they're losing. Um, Vincent Company is beginning to look as though he's getting the team a bit better organised. Because Villa, I mean, they, they've played some really, really good football this year. And um, two ones a win, isn't it? Well, two ones a win, definitely, Vince. And uh, it's three points to Villa. So, uh, but Burnley, yeah, again, they're another team that have really got to turn something around in the second half. But again, they don't look bad, do they? When they actually play, they don't look bad. Yeah. But we're, we're talking about some really top-quality opposition. So, uh well, we've, yeah. we've already mentioned Crystal Palace beating Brentford 3-1. We both thought that they would win that, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Man City were the next team that Sheffield had to face. I mean, they've had quite a difficult run. You thought they'd lose 4-0. I thought it would only be about 2-1. In actual fact, 2-0. I, I knew that they definitely are getting better. And I felt 2-0 is not a bad score against Man City at uh, the Etihad. Yeah. It's not a bad score at all, Vince, really. Um, I thought Man City might come out and absolutely slaughter them, um, but that didn't happen. I mean, and 2-0 um, that the Etihad is a good result for any team, I would say. Well, a good result for any team. Um, it's not a bad result for any team, and Sheffield United, I think, will uh, take the positives from that. Yeah, Wolves were playing Everton. You thought it would be uh, a nil-one. I thought it'd be close at 3-2, but Wolves were absolutely, uh, well, you know, they, they were just rampant and uh, they won the game 3-0, but Everton didn't look as if they had an idea where the goal was. I mean, if they'd all had a GPS somewhere on their body, I don't think they would have still found the goal, but, you know, it was just one of those games. Wolves were so much better. Indeed they were, and uh, Everton, after they, uh, they had their points um, taken away from them, um, I think it was November now. They had a run of a few games when they really went out and really 
showed what they could do. Um, but they seem to have gone off the boil again. And they're only one one position um, above the relegation zone at the moment, Vince. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I, I wish Everton well. And obviously, um, yeah. my next comments uh, will be the same because Nottingham Forest were at home to Manchester United. We both thought it would be a draw. And it ended up Nottingham Forest 2, Manchester United 1. I mean, there's definitely something not right at United. Oh, Man United, Vince, um, as we've spoken about previously in this podcast, but we speak about on a regular basis. And I think everybody's aware of it. There's some serious um, problems pitch-wise, and there's also some problems boardroom-wise as well. But, uh, yeah, this uh, that, uh, Den Haag, he hasn't got the, the changing room, he hasn't got the players behind him, although they are professional players. He's supposed to be directing what they do, and as we've spoken about already today, um, he doesn't seem to be doing that. So, yeah, some serious problems on the pitch at Man United, but uh, good on Forrest for doing it. I mean, they went ahead, uh, Marcus Rashford got the equaliser, but then Forrest um, dug in and got the win in the 82nd minute, so uh, three points to Forrest. Man United, oof. Uh, okay, we, <laughs> I'm going to move to Sunday, and on Sunday, uh, Fulham were hosting Arsenal. I thought Arsenal would win three-two, uh, and uh, you thought it would, would be a draw. In actual fact, it was Fulham two, Arsenal one, which was the second loss um, that Arsenal have had on uh, the trot. So, uh, crisis? What crisis? We'll wait and see, but. I didn't think Fulham would win that one. But then again, um, you know, that's football, isn't it? Um, any thoughts yeah. on Arsenal's performance? Well, apart from the fact they went 1-0 uh, up in the fifth minute, um, you'd have expected them to try and build on that, wouldn't you? And try and get a couple in before half-time. It didn't happen like that. And uh, Fulham um, ended up getting two goals in and uh, got the points. Um, I watched Spurs playing Bournemouth. Um, I thought Bournemouth would win this one. You thought that Spurs would win, which they did, 3-1. Um, but, I mean, they, they sort of blow hot and cold at the moment, so you don't know where you stand with uh, Tottenham Hotspur. But uh, that was a good result. But the game I want to discuss with you especially is the Sunday game when Liverpool were hosting Newcastle. Um, very, very strange games in some respects because Liverpool, the possession was just amazing. The shots on target were, were just amazing. And yet they went in nil-nil at half-time. Um, when they, uh, there was a penalty, um, Salah quickly snatched at the chance to have a go, hit the uh, ball reasonably well, but the goalkeeper made a great save, um, followed up by Trent Alexander-Arnold. And if he'd been playing for the England Rugby Union squad, um, then he would have gone over the top of the post. I mean, it was just the most ridiculous sequence and of course when um, they came out for the second half and then uh, there was a uh, penalty with Jota let's be honest about it you know people who've never played the game would probably tell me that it wasn't uh, even people that have played the game were maintaining it wasn't a penalty but if you're running at speed and somebody just puts the hand on your leg you're going to go over it was just a strange way that it happened, almost as if because of the bad refereeing decisions that preceded that, that half, Klopp had said, well, if you get the chance, you know, you may as well you may as well go down because they're not giving even the basic fouls. I saw one player, I can't remember his name, it was a rugby tackle. And the referee didn't even give him a yellow card. Liverpool had a bit of advantage, um, but he didn't bring it back and give him a yellow card. And had that player got the yellow card, he would have been off because he committed the same offence a couple of, couple of minutes later. Over to you, Rob. Well, that was the... Uh, it was a good match, actually, wasn't it? Going in nil at half-time. <clears throat> and um, I actually watched it. And uh, I, I always watch a match all the way through. I don't turn off at half-time. But um, I was surprised that I had six goals in the second half. And um, I think Liverpool won it fair and square, to be honest. There were some bad refereeing decisions, but there are in virtually every match these days, aren't there? Let's face it. Yeah. Or maybe they're being put under the spotlight more, I'm not sure. But, um, yeah, it was back and forth, though. I mean, uh, they, they didn't actually 
it wasn't actually over until the final whistle went. No, it wasn't. Yeah. But that's been uh, Liverpool. And funny enough, I remember saying not so long ago, when when he started all this pressing stuff the first season, um, I I said, listen, it's okay if we lose a couple of goals. It's not so bad as long as you score in three goals. And I think it's got to that stage again. I mean, some of the goals are coming from the most unusual places. But, um, you know, if you were to just rely on the press, then you'd expect once Salah goes uh, to the uh, Arab nations, then obviously they'll have a big problem. I don't think they will. I think goals are coming from everywhere. And Nunes is so bad or so unlucky that when he comes good, I mean, he's going to be another Fernando Torres, in my opinion. I I think he he's good actually. To be honest, he's 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 form when he's actually playing. I don't think does injustice. No. Although that is where he needs to perform, isn't it? Let's face it, that's where he needs to perform is on the pitch. Yeah. But some some of his passing is pinpoint. Some of his passing to Salah. I think he's a great team player. Oh yeah, he is. Yeah, he's a definite definitely great team player. And and I mean you've got. Uh, uh, it's whether or not when Salah goes, if he can get the ball in the back of the net. Yeah more often than he does at the moment, um, which he's going to have to, isn't he? That well, it'll thing? be interesting because basically I've I've suspected for a long time that Salah squanders more more than he actually scores. So it will be interesting to see what happens. Uh, we're going to have a look at the cup next because we're coming into the last uh, 10 minutes. And so uh, we're going to look at the FA Cup round three. Now, it would take a couple of days if we were to do this properly. So I'm going to just take some highlights and get your thoughts on. Uh, we'll start with Crystal Palace playing Everton. Right. Well, that's uh, both Premier League, isn't it? And it's just one match, isn't it? The, 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 the oh, yes. It's, yeah. It's 90 minutes and extra time then penalties, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Um, ooh, I can see this. I can see Old Warrior winning this, actually. I can see uh, Palace doing this 2-1 in, in 90 minutes. I've said 2-1 as well, so well done. As we go to Brentford at home to Wolves, all Premier League game again. Who do you think won that one? Again, the Premier League ones are very difficult, aren't they? Well, they're all difficult, let's face it. Um, I think that this will go to extra time. I think Wolves will do it. I think it will be one all after 90 minutes. I think Wolves... We'll win it in extra time, either 1-2 or 1-3. OK, and I've put down a 1-3. Um, when you're predicting, you can't give me two scores. It's got to be one or the other. Uh, oh, yeah, of course. Sorry, Vince. Yeah, 1-3 then. <laughs> OK. After, in, in extra time, in extra time. OK, uh, so um, Fulham, again, Premier League, are hosting Rotherham. Give us your thoughts on that one. Well, Fulham should really get that. And Rotherham, as far as I'm aware, are quite low down in the championship. So I think Fulham should get this just on uh, being a Premier League team. And I think Fulham will do this 3-1. OK, I put 4-0 and I'd put down 1-3 uh, for the Brentford Wolves game. Uh, Tottenham are playing Burnley, another all-Premier clash. Give me your thoughts, please. I think Burnley could actually uh, get this, Vince, uh, because they, they're not going anywhere in the league and I think they're going to want a decent cup run. Um, Spurs, as hit and miss, as we mentioned, I think uh, that Burnley could do this. I think they can do this one too. OK, and I've put down 2-0 to Tottenham. Uh, let's have a quick look at Millwall uh, playing Leicester. Um, Leicester flying high in the championship. So your thoughts on that one? Millwall, my dad's team. Millwall are going to win this 3-1 Vince. OK, nil 2 for me. Uh, now, big one up in the northeast. Sunderland are playing Newcastle. Give us your thoughts on that one. Now, this is going to be a difficult one because Sunderland are actually up into uh, the playoff positions in the Championship at the moment. It's the first time two teams have seen each other for a while. Um, but there's massive rivalry up there, as you know, Vince. And um, I think Sunderland could actually do this. I think Sunderland could do this uh, to one Vince. OK, 1-3 for me. Now, a uh, bit of pace because we've only got five minutes left. Stoke-Brighton. No. Stoke versus Brighton. Brighton, nil two. Uh, 1-3, so we've seen the same gap. Uh, then we've got Gillingham, Sheffield United. 
oh, if Sheffield United don't win this, then they might as well uh, pack up and go home. However, I think they'll. Uh, I think it will be a one-all draw after ninety, and I think Sheffield will do it two-one in extra time. Okay, time. I, I think they'll win two-nil. Uh, we'll go to Queens Park Rangers Bournemouth. I've got no idea where QPR are at the moment, but Bournemouth should win this being a Premier League team. I've got it down as a two, as a one-two to Bournemouth. Means. Okay, and I've got down a, a one-three. Uh, Southampton, Walsall. Well, Saints are doing quite well at the moment in this championship as well. And Walsall, I've got no idea where they are, so I'll put it down to the Saints as 3-1. OK, 2-1 I put down. Uh, then we go to Chelsea playing Preston. Well, um, it's got to be Chelsea, hasn't it, Vince? Uh, especially if they're playing at home. 4-1 to uh, Chelsea, Vince. OK, I see 2-0. Um, Middlesbrough, they host Aston Villa. Yeah, Middlesbrough's supposed to be a difficult place to play, actually. But, so they beat Man City 8-0, didn't they, a few seasons back? Um, however, it can't, it's not the same these days. But I think Middlesbrough will win it, actually. I think it'll be 2-1 to Middlesbrough. 0-3 for me. Um, mm. West Ham, Bristol City. West AM Vinks, 3-0. Um, OK. Fast as you can now, because we've only got two minutes left. Peterborough Leeds. Oh, God. Leeds 13 draw away from home in a row. It's a record. Leeds have got to win this. I'm put it down as a 0-2 to Leeds. OK. 1-2 one, one, I've put down. Um, Peterborough playing uh, uh, Wrexham. <laughs> Sorry, Pete, uh, Shrewsbury playing Wrexham. Um, Wrexham, 1-2. Uh, Funny enough, I've put 1-2 as well. Um, Man City, Huddersfield. Um, it's got to be City. It's got to be City. I think it's going to be 3-0. OK, 3-1 for me. Um, Arsenal, Liverpool. Oh, that is the big one, isn't it? Now, this is really difficult. Um, <clears throat> one all after full after 90 minutes. Arsenal to win it 2-1 in um, extra time. Sorry about that. Vince, no, I've put, I've put exactly the same. I think it's going to be <laughs> the same, exactly the same score. Uh, Wigan, Manchester United, the last one. Um, Wigan. <laughs> Wigan, 2-1. Okay, Manchester United have to win this, or, or ten, ten Hag will be expelled from the British Isles. That's what I forecast. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, we we've rushed through that one, but the the the, the, <coughs> the whole thing about those people that don't know Britain. And, you know, wonder why people like me rant on a bit about the money coming in from the Arabs and the Americans. You need to go to a football FA Cup third round game to get what I'm talking about. You know, everybody on the edge of the seats can one of the minnows uh, overturn one of the great teams. You know, um, even down to things like uh, Shrewsbury, Shrewsbury playing Wrexham. I mean, that's like a little derby. Um, you know, right sort of, uh, you actually travel on the road between Shrewsbury and Wrexham and um, it's two different countries and yet, you know, all the things that are happening at Wrexham. Exciting times, Rob. So um, that's why I get myself into a, uh, a, a bit of a frazzle um, because basically they are wonderful for the spectators who don't maybe have the Premier League camels racing around their, um, their racing tracks outside the stadium. Um, yeah, um, I've waxed lyrical a bit. Last word for you for 30 seconds. Well, yes, Vince. I mean, the FA Cup third round, or the FA Cup in general, but the third round is a very exciting uh, time, especially for the smaller teams, because they get all their fans right up supporting them. It's a massive occasion for them. And let's hope um, there are some surprises. Well, I can remember watching York City uh, in the 
absolutely amazing cup run which took them to the semi-finals uh, where they lost 1-0 and I can't remember who beat them but uh, yeah, happy days of me dad mending the puncture on his bike and listening to the radio with me um, and we loved the fact that um, York City did so well. Okay, there's the memory, that's the podcast. Thank you very much indeed, Rob. My pleasure as always, Vince. And a happy new year to you. And you to everybody else, Vince.